Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode eight of the Mike and Joe Strength Show. I am your co-host, Joe. And I'm Mike. What do we got going on this week, Joe? This week, we are interviewing the wide receivers coach at Minnesota Mankato State. Good friend of mine, Kyle Weiss. Kyle, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and give us a little background on your information here? Hey, guys. Uh, like uh, Joe kind of said there, my name is Kyle Weiss, and I coach receivers here at Minnesota State University Mankato. Yes, it's the same school Adam Thielen came from. Everybody talks about that, so I just thought I'd throw it out there. Um, before this, I was at Dakota Wesleyan for a short stint, um, and then I graduated from USD. So that's kind of that's where I met you guys, obviously, and uh, now I'm here down the road. So, well, yeah, we're, we are uh, four for four now on USD. Yes, so go yeah, yells, everybody. Are. Yeah, we had Megan, Nick, Carlson, now Kyle. We're all we're a Coyote gang here. We might as well change it to the Coyote Drink Show. Oh, yeah, sounds better. Absolutely. So, Kyle, have you ever met Adam Thielen? Have you ever thrown him any passes? Or No, I have not. Never no? met the guy. No. We did a Zoom call with him this spring with our whole offense. That's about it. So That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm sure he's it a pretty good. humble guy being from the Division II ranks. Is it D2? Did he, go, did he get a scholarship? Or? Uh, the rumor is he got a $500 scholarship coming out, and uh, he's obviously big time. So. Wow. Well, that's, that's something else too, that you got the helm of the, the wide receiver crew, the, the alumni of the great Adam Thielen. That's pretty cool. I think that's, that's probably one of our highlights here on the show. Wouldn't you say, Mike? Having on a guy who knows a guy. Absolutely. Well, Mike, what are we going to talk about today with Coach Kyle Weiss here? Okay, I got a couple of questions written down for you, Kyle. Uh, first off, how, as a wide receivers coach, how much contact do you have with the strength and conditioning staff there? So basically our guys, they all come in and uh, we do we coach the football part at smaller schools. Um, the football coaches are kind of the strength guys as well um, at some universities, but we have our own strength guys, right? So they go down the weight room and they work out with their, our strength coaches. We have, his name's Tommy. He's phenomenal. Tommy Ingrat. Um, they have Brett and some other guys too as well. And they have their own system down there, right? So the only contact we have with them, I mean, I'm friends with all those guys. So we go down there and watch our players work out and talk to those guys. But as far as um, contact with everyone, I mean, yeah, I mean, it kind of answers itself. They, they have their own thing going on down there. We have our own thing going on up here, if that makes sense. But we all know each other. We all communicate about certain players and what they're doing, what they can't do, and what their limitations are and how well they can be and stuff like that. So we, so we know everything about everything about our players. So Yeah, so it's more of a just, hey, go get our guys ready to play get them strong, get them faster, we'll turn them into football players type of thing. Exactly, yeah. Like, they're the professionals in the strength conditioning field. You know, we're the professionals, you know, coach them on the football field, right? So, like, we pass them off. We don't, uh, like, we don't tell the strength coaches what their workout should be doing or whatever. They coordinate all that stuff. They know what's right. They tell our players what they should be eating. They take care of all that stuff outside of, you know, everything that really happens off the football field. Everything that happens on the football field is our responsibility. Everything that happens in the weight room, in the kitchen, eating-wise, um, that's what the strength coach is really – I mean, that's, their, that's their, their, uh, their platform, if you will. Yeah, that sounds like pretty good teamwork there. So you bring up the nutrition aspect. Do you guys have a dietitian or sports nutritionist on staff too, or is that more of the strength guys kind of area of expertise? That they use. So, so being a Division two school, obviously, we don't have the, all the money that like the LSU's and the Alabamas have to have your own strength, um, have your own um, diet 
guiding plan, right? But Tommy, like our center head head uh, strength coach, is actually certified and all that stuff. So he gives our players all sorts of uh, um, encouragement or you know knowledge or ideas. Like he can't you know obviously go out and purchase for them and give it to them, but mm-hmm. he kind of guides them. He coaches them what they should and shouldn't be eating and what time of the day and how much per day. Um, so he does a phenomenal job of that. He has actually has his own uh, protein stuff and all that good stuff to our players purchase. Also, what we, the only thing we really do for our players really as far as uh, dieting and health is we have chocolate milks in the locker room, right? So our, we have cooler in our locker room, and, uh, you know, there's, it's always stocked full of chocolate milk. And I'm not going to lie to you, sometimes the coaches kind of go in there and get into it a little bit sometimes too. But it's for our players. So after the workout, quick, they can grab a chocolate milk or two or three or whatever it may be, throw some uh, chocolate milk down in their bodies before they run to class real quick or something. So they're not going without put anything in their systems for, you know, a couple hours after a workout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that chocolate milk, that's some pretty good fuel, you know. You buy it from Casey's, you can get that chocolate milk from just about anywhere. It's pretty dang tasty, I know. But, uh, Kyle, I had a question about, obviously, you're coaching Division two athletes, you know, the big AT, Adam Thielen, came out of MSU, and you've been coaching Shane Zilstra, who's a pretty talented wide receiver who has a very realistic shot at playing in the NFL. What's it like to be coaching these guys that are just, you know, genetic freaks, very good athletes? How do you kind of earn their respect and, and build buy-in with those athletes when you're working with them? I think coaching – like, I never coached Adam Thielen. Let's get that out there. Um, sure. But, like, coaching, like, even all our players, I think most of our receiver group is, you know, they could – most of them could be playing D1, and they're all studs in their way. I think it raises my game. You know what I mean? So when I first got here um, – actually, a quick story. When I left Dakota Wesleyan – I was saying goodbye to all those players, and one of the players came up to me and said, hey, I heard there's a really big-time receiver at Mankato. You're going to get to coach this guy. And I thought, oh, you know, like, Dad didn't know anything about him. I wonder who that is. And I looked up on the website that night, and yes, it was, Shane Zilstra. And uh, I think, like, somebody like Shane, for example, he's a good example. I mean, Justin Arnold's up there, too. Um, Jalen Sample Park. I mean, all those guys are awesome. But it kind of raised my game, make me a better coach, make me be creative. I study more film. You know, so my, it raised my game, I would say. And, and as being a young coach, too, I think they understand the situation I'm in. You know, I'm not – I'm ahead of them, but I'm not – I'm still learning how to do the coaching aspect, right? I'm still new in this profession. So I think earning the respect by just working your tail off every day, being honest with them, um, respecting them, they'll respect you. You know, I mean, for example, um, I tell people all the time, Shane Zilstra scored 55 touchdowns here. And he was always the first one in line – Whenever someone's talking, he'd always be like, guys, be quiet. Coach is talking. Like at the time, I'm a 24-year-old second-year coach out of, you know, where I'm, who knows who I am, right? You know what I mean? And this guy's he's going to left Mankato as the best receiver of all time, and he's telling everybody else to listen to me. You know what I mean? I mean, mm-hmm. the respect, it goes both ways, I'm trying to say here. You know, I respect all my players. Hopefully, they respect me back. And I think I have a good relationship with all the guys. I love those guys. They work their tail off for me, and I try to work my tail off for them to help them, help them on the field and in the classroom and in life, man. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with that. You, you respect them and they respect you. I know when I got to Mount Marty as a GA, you know, I, I played a little college baseball at DSU, but I wasn't anything special. Hence, that's why I'm not in the league. I'm doing a podcast with you guys right now. But um, I, I, there was, I go to Mount Marty and these, these guys who are studs, like you said, they probably could be playing Division One, you know, but it's like, how do, I, how do I tell this guy what to do? You know, but I think a big part of it is just – truly caring for your athlete and building, building trust with them, you know, like walk around while they're stretching and whatnot and just, you know, talk to them about how their day was or some personal stuff they have going on. I think 
that really goes a long way. And I think that transfers to the strength and conditioning realm as well, Mike. You know, you have clients and, you know, if you just showed up and you counted the sets and reps and stuff, you know, you wouldn't mm -hmm. build a very good relationship for them. As far as coaching goes, you know, we're all coaches here. You really got to care about your athletes. I think that that's pretty, pretty important in today's day and age, especially. We can't just be the, the drill sergeant coach and demand respect out of everyone. Kids are, kids are a little bit smarter these days. They have all the information they want right there in their pocket and their, their little black phone. So, and it, may be cliche, it may be cliche to say, you know, you respect me, I respect you, but it's honestly got truth. And, like, I think the big thing that I, I kind of learned really quickly was it doesn't always have to be about – the conversation does not always have to be about football. Like asking, like you said, asking about life, how their day is, how their family is, you know, their brothers and sisters, you know, making sure they understand you respect and love them as a human is also extremely important, I think, because at the end of the day, every one of these guys is not going to play football someday. They're not going to play football mm -hmm. until they're 95 or whatever. <laughs> so you want to be recognized as a human as well. You know what I mean? So not just yelling at them because they didn't run the right route on the field. Yeah. And, you know, just talking to football all the time is not going to do it. you got to be, you know, human with them as well. Absolutely. Uh, so I did see an article the other day. It was an interview with um, Christian McCaffrey where he was talking about his conditioning. He doesn't go out and run like 100-yard gasser conditioning type of things. But what he'll do is set up like a – he calls it like a two-minute drill where he's just running 10, 15-yard routes down the sideline in two minutes and almost kind of trying to mimic that game situation. Is that something you guys have done at Mankato or are you still um, just, hey, go run a 100-yard shuttle or back and forth the width of the field or what's kind of your conditioning processes on the football field? The number one way to get better at football is play football. The number two way to get better at football is practice football. The number three way to get better at football is lift weights. Number four is watch film. So we try to play football as much as possible, if that makes sense. So when we go out to football practice, we do zero conditioning. Our conditioning happens within the practice itself. Like our practice is set up so, you know, you're doing an individual period. We're doing receiver drills. And then next thing you know, Coach Pashan is like, hey, Coach Weiss, you know, we're doing routes on air. So we jog over to field two, meet up with the quarterbacks, or jump right into routes on air. We have no water breaks. Our guys, they find water in between. It's just up-tempo. We're out there for an hour and 20 minutes, I'd say, on average, hour 30 minutes total, and we just get after it. There's no – practice does not get done. We line up on the goal line and run gassers. That does not happen here. You know what I mean? I think in my two years here, we've only stopped practice once to do up-downs because guys weren't paying attention once, and that was last fall camp. One of the days, you know, one of the dog days of fall camp, Coach Offner stopped it and we did up-downs. Um, I, th I love the idea of just playing football fast, getting to one drill to the next fast, and having a high tempo, keeps guys focused, keeps the energy up, music's blaring, it's intense, it's fun, it's loud, it's, it's really cool. You know what I mean? It's not – we don't slow things down for nothing. We coach on the fly, we coach on film because we film everything. So that's the answer to your question. We There's – yeah, I agree with that. I mean, running 100-yard dash is good. I mean, but that's not making you a better football player. Christian Caffrey is perfecting his routes while doing conditioning, right? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. His swing pass, his flat pass, or whatever it may be. So, it's awesome. I have not seen that article, though. You want to send that to me? Well, if I can find it. It might have just been a quote, too. But 
Yeah, that's that's good. I like that answer because um, I'm starting to be starting to believe that the best way to condition yourself for your sport is to just play your sport. One hundred percent. Play fast and play it a lot. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you ain't gonna get in football shape running sprints. I mean, there's a di- it's a different kind of you know. It's football. You play six seconds. Our receivers are gonna run a go route forty yards on the field, not get the ball, and have to jog all the way back forty yards, line it up, and do it again. You know what I mean? And. Mm-hmm. Or, it's different too when you got a defensive back or, or you know a linebacker trying to wall you out or something. Um, there, there's contact. There's just not straight running, free running. It, honestly, and ha- our receivers that rarely happens. We're just freely free release and running down the field and never get touched on a play. You know what I mean? You're getting you know mixed up a little bit every once in a while. So yeah, so it's kind of like every so everything you do in a practice has to be with a purpose. There has to be a purpose for it. Um, kind of similar in the weight room, like, yeah, maybe I want somebody to run sprints, but all we're going to run is maybe a 10, 15 yard sprint to really work on that form and that acceleration, working on getting faster there versus I want to have you run 10 sprints in a row in five minutes. Yeah, exactly. Everything, everything we do has a purpose. Like you said, when we go out to practice, um, Coach Offner is the best at it. I mean, he walks around practice and he critiques our drills during individual time. You know what I mean? And, and if he sees a drill that doesn't um, duplicate something that can happen a game on Saturday, he does not like the drill. And I love that. You know what I mean? Because then I'll, it's easy for me to explain to the receivers, like, hey, we're going to do this drill because it matches up with this play or this concept or this, this look we're going to get or whatever it may be. So, like, the receivers are like, okay, that makes sense that, you know, we're going to, I feel like it, there's, there's a why when you have a why you work harder, you know what I mean? You're not just running this cone drill, this box drill for no damn reason, just to fill time. You know what I mean? It, mm-hmm. There's a purpose, there's a reason. And you know, you understand like, and, and the best part about it is, is when that individual drill that I drew up in the dirt pretty much that we did on the practice field on field three shows up on Saturday on game day. Honestly, there's no better feeling when that exact drill happens on the field and then you know the receiver comes off wherever it may be and says we did that drill on Thursday there's honestly no better feeling because it's what happened they're prepared man you know what I mean so yeah absolutely it's kind of funny when you think back on it how we used to run like 10 100 yard dashes in practice and it's like well how often do you actually run a whole 100 yards in a football game you know unless you're taking back a kick return or something typically doesn't happen very often so it's I don't know about how, this, but were you taking back any kickoff returns? I sure wasn't. Me? No, I don't even think I played. <laughs> I was too busy. I was too busy being a contained man, making sure no one got around me. <laughs> I didn't want to touch anyone, man. No, but as far as as far as coaching philosophy goes, Kyle, what are what are some of the times where you will raise your voice at players? I mean, I know I've heard of I, there are some coaches here at Mount Mari that are under the philosophy of I don't yell ever. I'm just going to have a conversation with everyone. Do you agree with that? Or do you think that there's times to yell and kind of get in the kid's face? Um, that's a good question. I think, I think there's a fine line. I, I think, um, I need to think about this for a little bit. We've all raised our voices when you get frustrated. Obviously you have the, the times when I'm frustrated personally. So I take it out on my players, which is in my opinion, not okay. Um, but the times where, like, they're messing around, it's obvious. You know what I mean? Like, the, the mm-hmm. focus level isn't there. We've stopped individual drills during practice because, you know, the focus level is there. They're dropping balls. They're going through the cone drills or whatever it is, half-ass. 
you know, we're, we're not getting better. We're just getting by. And so that's yeah. when it, ha- it happens. And usually when that happens, you know, like last season, for example, I would say something and we would do push-ups. Or the two senior leaders, Justin Arnold and Shane Zilster, would say something too and we would do push-ups. There's multiple times we stopped the drill and just, you know, like, like said, what's going on? We talked it out. Like, you know what I mean? So, yeah. but uh, as far as like in game situations, um, the only time I yell in games really is like personnel situations, who's supposed to be on the field or not. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Cause there's so many different personnel groupings and that's just trying to get their attention basically. But I don't know. I feel like, as a coach, your job is to teach. You're, you're a teacher. So as, as long as I can convey the message to them and what they need to know, I think is the most important part. So if it's me yelling at them or if it's me saying, hey, you got to do this because of that, well, as long as they get the message and they go and go execute it, that's when I've done my job. So, Yeah, I would have to agree. I actually read a book on coaching baseball a couple years back. I can't remember what the title of it was, but in the first paragraph of the book, it talked about coaching high school baseball players and it said high school boys need to be yelled at. And I know that we're kind of in a time of political correctness and we can't really hurt anyone's feelings these days. And I try to abide by that as most as possible. But I think that there are times where you need to be hard on your athletes and you kind of have to get in their, in their face and, and get on them for a little bit of, of discipline's sake. Because, you know, if we're dealing with high school kids, college kids, they're still kids and sometimes high school and college kids think that they know everything and they think they can walk all over you and there has to be a time or two where you put them in their place, you know, but I think it's very important if you're going to do that to a kid, you've got to come back around and when the heat of the moment is over, you need to explain to them, Hey, this is why I'm doing this because I care about you as a person and as a baseball or a football player, I want you to develop. It's not for me just for the sake of hearing my own voice. So I think that's an interesting perspective, Kyle. I will say this too. Also, if you yell all the time, it'll fall in deaf ears. Eventually yes. they'll stop hearing it. They'll stop listening. It, it, it doesn't mean anything anymore. It's just kind of like, Oh, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There, here he comes again. Right. But um, like you said, yeah, people do need to yell that time. There's a time and a place. 100%. Some, like I said, when receivers are slacking off, it's time to kick them in the butt and let's get going. Right. But uh, coming around and making sure they understand why they're getting yelled at too is important or what, what, what are they doing wrong? Is, then that needs to be corrected, obviously. Also, yeah. I will say this too. If you're not getting coached, they don't care about you anymore. I heard mm-hmm. that from a guy by the name of Gary Culver back in 2000. <laughs> 2000, like, I don't even know. Um, but, yeah, he, always, he said that at one of our camps in the summer one time that you are probably at, Joe, and he said, you know, if they don't coach, they don't care anymore. They've already looked past you. So mm-hmm. um, I think it's good that sometimes you're getting yelled at too because, like you said, they still care. They still see something in you that you're doing wrong that can be corrected and make you better at what you're doing. So I think that's important as well. No, I'd have to agree. And I think that the, if you do raise your voice and it is every so often, it just brings your credibility up because like, if it only happens every so often, it's like, Oh, whoa, like coach Weiss is obviously pissed. He never yells at us, you know, so this must be, must be a serious issue. And it's also, you can't just be yelling just to berate a kid, it, there's got to be some critique to it. And it has to be a teaching moment as well for everybody. So 100%. I love that. I agree with that 100%. So, yeah. Mike, do you scream in your clients' faces? I do not. I've not <laughs> once screamed at a client or in a group uh, exercise situation. It's a, it's a different realm because I do both. I coach baseball and I'm a strength coach. So it's like the way I treat them, my baseball kids has to be a lot different than when I'm working with like, some teenage girls on, you know, how to do the squat or 
tricep extension, I'm, I'm a lot more of a nurturer there, whereas sometimes I can be a bit of a dictator with the baseball guys. Yeah, I definitely remember the first time I had, I think it was seven and eight year olds trying to just do like an agility training session. Oh man. And ooh, these kids just wanted to go off and do their own thing. Go look at all the weights in the weight room. And mm. I just, I kind of got thrown into it once and wasn't expecting that. So it was a little frustrating. So do you think that six to eight year olds should be doing agility drills or do you think they should just be out on a playground playing tag? See, so these were soccer kids. They had, so what they do is 45 minutes of soccer practice. One group does, and then one group will do 45 minutes of performance training to just kind of agility drill type stuff. And then they'll switch. Hmm. So it's like an hour and a half practice. What do you think about that? Do you think that kids that age should be doing performance drills at six and eight years old? You asking me that? I'm asking either one of you. Mike, you want to go first or me? Let's see what you got, Kyle. Whoever talks first. I think 68-year-olds. 628, not, not 68. 628-year-old six, six kids should be just playing and being kids. I don't think they should be training for anything. I think they should be playing baseball, soccer, um, flag football, I mean, whatever else there is. Any sport, any activity for that matter. Mike, what's your opinion? Yeah, that's, I think um, sometimes you can get those kids who are just natural athletes. Say, I know I've read about it a little bit more in basketball, but they're good jumpers because they go out and they play basketball and they're jumping all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like, just playing is training in itself without the kid knowing. Plus it's not going to, they they enjoy playing. Yeah. 100%. 100%. P. Amen. Thanks coach Weiss. For that. I will say this though, too. I think it, it kind of goes into high school as well. I think um, kids should uh, specialize in sports. You know, I think they should, I think cause it makes you a better athlete if you play you know, sports year round, wherever that may be. You know, I think that, I think that helps you for college athletics. 100%. You see, I see it every single day. Kids, kids that specialize and quote train on the off season. I mean, that's okay too, but the kids are playing basketball and football and wrestling and baseball and track and whatever it all may be. Those kids are the better athletes. You know what I mean? Cause they're doing all the different activities. They're competing. I think competing is extremely important. So and I think it's one of the number one things. So, I mean, if you're running track and you got a kid really next fast, you actually want to beat him, you're going to compete with him every day in practice. Where if you're just training on your own, there's a difference there. If I could go back in time, I would have played all more sports. I'm not lying to you. So. Yeah, I agree and I disagree with that because I think that there are some kids that really need to work on their sport. And if you're a freshman in high school and your goal is to play college baseball, playing basketball probably isn't going to make you a better baseball player. I think that working on playing baseball and being a, I don't know, a student of the game is going to help you out. I think that those kids that are super athletic that play football, baseball, basketball, and they excel at all of those. I think they excel at all those because they're naturally athletic, you know? Yes. yes I mean, I, I think it can go both ways, but I hear people say like, Oh, this guy, you know, whoever Adam Thielen, you know, any superstar athlete, well, they played all sports. So that means every kid should play all sports. Well, it's like, well, I don't know. I mean, if your goal is to be a professional bowler then you might want to stick to the lanes, you know, instead of messing around on a football field and get your neck broken. So I think a little bit of that, that kind of natural athleticism you're talking about, 
I think that kind of does come from playing multiple sports, like up into a certain point. I'd say, but I'd I'd go with about that junior year of high school. You should maybe start specializing in one or two, where it's kind of getting a little bit more serious, and you kind of get into that varsity level. Versus mm-hmm. where, like, as an underclassman in high school, you can still play all these sports and have something for every time of the year, and it's that it's that playing that we were just talking about to where it kind of just builds up that natural athleticism because you're doing so many different things and you're learning and practicing all these different skill sets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I just think it can go both ways. Mike, what else we got for today? It's not often we get to talk to coach Kyle Weiss. He's a busy man. See, I want to, as a football coach, what do you look for in combine numbers? Whether it's 40 yard vertical, uh, vertical jump, three cone drill, pro agility. Ah, uh, yeah. So, um, I don't want to get too detailed about the exact numbers, but I will say every position group we have, and we break up even the position groups, right? So the receivers are broken up into three groups. We have uh, scat receivers, which are slots. We have your possession receivers, and we have your feature receivers. So I'll take them for example. They all we have like range numbers for every single one of them. So. Um, um, yeah, so when we see a kid's numbers, we know exactly what we think from the very beginning, if that makes sense. That's a bad explanation. I don't want to give too much away, but we do have a standard. If they don't fall on that standard, we move on for recruiting purposes. So, and, and same with our players as well as here. You know what I mean? So we test our guys a couple times a year, and they have to, you know, meet those standards as well. So it's, they're held to a high standard. So. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Um, how do you feel that that like uh, 40 converts to a football field? How well do you think it does? <laughs> they talk about it every year at the NFL combine. I think uh, how does this relate to football? But you know, it's just one of those tests that's been going on since the beginning of time pretty much for football. So it's a standard test, I guess. And everybody kind of knows how fast you are based off a 40 yard dash, which like you said, how does it relate to football? Honestly, it really doesn't. But unless you're a receiver running 40 yards, if you're a gunner running down a punt. <laughs> but um, it, everybody has a 40 mark, right? So I think it kind of translates. It's kind of a, a, a – it's the bar. It's the, the baseline, if you will, to know how fast someone is. Like everybody knows what a good 40 time is and what a bad 40 time is. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of go back and forth thinking that the combine is completely ridiculous. But at the same time, you're right, there has to be some sort of baseline. It's almost like the ACT and the SAT with students. It might, all, might always prove to be completely true and reliable, but the, it is a good the baseline. ACT isn't very accurate. No, that thing's totally, you know, it's inappropriate. I don't yeah, think I'm a lot do. smarter than that thing I said I was. So I think give me a number. I know I'm smarter than that. So yeah, man. <laughs> no one needs them. Yeah. Let's all say our ATC scores on. It was ACT or the ATC. <laughs> Can't even say it. That says I think I know who's got the lowest score. That's why I got a nine on it. <laughs> I got a forty-three. <laughs> That's pretty dang good. Yeah, I thought so too. All right, enough with the tomfoolery, Kyle. I had a question about kind of communication between the strength coach and the football staff. You, as a wide receivers coach, is there anything that you 
that like that the strength coach tells you does he like report to you on anything or how's I know you kind of briefed on it earlier but yep so sort of the communication like yep so like I said we test our guys all the time and uh, we kind of know everything goes on down there and Tommy he's an awesome dude he'll email um coach Hoffner the you know like a a roster and what their numbers are their updates and their injuries and whatever it may be he sends coach Hoffner our whole staff actually the update on that a couple times a year so like we know exactly you know their improvements their you know what they've improved on or what they've you know not improved on or you know where they're at and what's going on or why they did this I mean it's honestly pretty cool and like I said they do a phenomenal job down in our strength in our in our weight room down there those guys do and the communication I think is phenomenal and so yeah it's basically and like I like we get those emails I can also go down there and ask them like hey how's Billy Bob doing today and he'll tell me exactly how Billy Bob is doing and you know everything's you know in the clear so awesome so to wrap things up I got one more question for you Kyle we ask everybody on the show what one exercise they would do if they could only do one more for the rest of forever. But I'm going to modify this a little bit for you. If you could only give your wide receivers one receiver drill, and that's the only thing you could ever give them again for a drill, what would it be? Ball drills, man. That's fun. But ball drills are more fun, obviously, instead of blocking drills. Let's be honest. But I will answer your other question, too, if you don't mind. Since I already have washboard abs, I'll probably just do push-ups for the rest of my life. Have you seen my washboard abs? Do the viewers want to see that? Well, they <laughs> won't see them, but you can show us, and we'll explain <laughs> how they look. <laughs> but, yeah, no, seriously, uh, ball drills for receivers because at the end of the day, right, we catch footballs and uh, we block, too. That's a very big point in the events, you know, our meeting rooms. But uh, – Blocking drills get boring, so I'd say ball drills. We're gonna do that for the rest of our lives. It's, it's definitely ball drills, and it's me. It's me throwing them too, man. You get to sling it. Yeah, the old I, sling it. I love slinging it. You know what I mean? So awesome. Well, should we get into our top five today, Mike? Yeah, let's hear your top five football memories. Me or Kyle? We'll go in a circle. Let's let's start with you, Joe. Okay. Now, this is going to be pretty lousy because I was a pretty lousy football player. So I'm mostly hey, I got, a, I got a question. Is it, is it personal or all time? It's like, anything. Anything you want. Okay. So here's mine. Okay, so I think this is in no specific order. But one time in a varsity football game, I almost made an interception. It was on third down. So they were forced to punt, and that was pretty cool. Hey, what else did you do during that play? Did you throw the bones or something? Oh, I threw them hard. Right here, baby. The viewers can't see it, but I'm throwing the bones. All right, Mike, what do you got? Oh, Steve, growing up in Sioux City, going to see Sioux City Bandits, I thought it was always awesome. Um, I got to see Fred Jackson play before oh, yeah. he made it to the big time with the Bills. And I'm, I'm right there with you. Zero of my football memories are from actually playing football. Kyle, what about you? Um, is this top five or just top one? Top five, any order. All right, gotcha. Um, I'd say one of my biggest memories was uh, in 2018, we played here in the snow against Carlton in the third round of the, the Division II playoffs. And it was an all-out blizzard, and we were down 10 to nothing at halftime. And 
when I say there's seven inches of snow on the ground, there really was. And uh, we came back and won 13 to 10 and advanced to the national semifinals. But that blizzard was a game, you know, we won 13 10. I'll literally never forget as long as I live. So that was awesome. That was very cool. A football event that I will never forget. I was a junior in high school playing junior varsity football, of course, and I caught the game-winning pass against Dakota Valley, actually. It was thrown to me by freshman Jack Brown right in the bread basket. I was on a go route, totally burned that receiver who's pro- or that cornerback who's probably weighing 150 pounds. And, uh, yeah, I scored the game-winning touchdown on the JV team. It's the proudest day of my life. My parents you- bought me a candy bar and everything. You really torched my old high school, Joe. Yeah, man. Good I job. Wipe my, I wiped my butt with those DV Panthers. <laughs> Tanagers. <laughs> Gonna have to find some old high school friends to come on here now. <laughs> We've had two Vermilion people so far, so you're outnumbered, Mike. All right. But my next uh, football memory is more of collective memories. You guys probably have this on your list as well, but tailgating for USD games. And we'll just leave it at that. Oh, yeah. That's all I got to say. Oh, my next memory is probably just uh, um, probably in high school bonding with Tanner Anderson hard. Um, after BC, <laughs> celebrating on the field, away from the team, just me and him, in the middle oh, of the field gosh. celebrating. Uh, throwing him all sorts of touchdowns and stuff. And good times with your receiver, if it makes sense. Quarterback-receiver connection, nothing like it. Yeah, hopefully Tanner Anderson listened to some of these episodes so he knows he has a shout-out. Maybe we'll have to tag him or something. Uh, one of my favorite football memories was in the basement of my house watching a Huskers versus Colorado game. I believe the year was 2009. 2008. 2000, was it 2008? Yeah. Oh, how did we forget to mention that Kyle's a football score wizard when it comes to Nebraska or the Packers? Oh, yeah, we'll have, to, we'll have to do that here when we're done with the top five. Maybe we'll make it a top three and end it early. But anyways, Alex Henry made like a 60-yard field goal. 57. 57. I was rounding up. 57-yard field goal to, to beat the Colorado Buffaloes, who was a, a big 12 rival at the time. So that was, I was freaking out. I think I was probably like an eighth grader. Yeah, pretty cool stuff. All right, last one I got is kind of a combination of three anyway, so – just Iowa Hawkeye football memories. Going to the Outback Bowl when they destroyed uh, South Carolina. Uh, Joe, you were there. You got to go on the sideline with me for a quarter at an Iowa-Nebraska game. Yes, I did. That was pretty cool. Very cool experience. And I guess just the last uh, five years of going to Iowa-Nebraska games has turned out pretty well as a Hawkeye fan. Yeah, not for us Husker fans, certainly. No. They should just fire Scott Frost. My God. They should hire Kyle. I would entertain their call. Uh, I wouldn't. Lousy <laughs> facilities. Um, my next one, I would say, football moment, is knowing we clinched our berth in the national title game last year. Like we're playing at Slippy Rock. Um, our, running, our freshman running back, Caleb Sleezer, had a, a long touchdown run. As start of the fourth quarter, I believe, end of third quarter, actually. And we went up by 30 points. And that was kind of realized, like, we're going to the national title game. That was a really cool feeling. I'll never forget. I remember thinking that on the play. Almost like kind of teared out of the sideline. Like, we're going to the national title game. It's, it's actually coming to fruition. So, that was a cool Absolutely. moment. Super cool. All right, ladies and gentlemen. That was episode eight of the Mike and Joe Strink Show with our fourth guest, coincidentally enough. Number four has some uh, numerical value with this guest, considering 
his favorite gunslinger was number four, Brett Favre. So it's pretty appropriate that we had a wide receivers coach at Mankato State University at Minnesota to be on today. It was, it was a pleasure to have you on, Kyle, and uh, hopefully you enjoy the rest of your day with whatever you're doing there at the, the football offices there. Yeah, I will enjoy it. Tell all your friends to listen to this episode and to subscribe to the Mike and Joe Strength Show for further strength and conditioning and fitness-related content. Will do. Awesome. Thanks for being on, Coach.